0: Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our city campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. Who here has siblings? Put your hand up. Who's got a sibling or multiple siblings? Uh, For those that don't know, I have a twin brother who's sitting right there, and then a little sister who is not here tonight. Um, I am older than my brother by three minutes, so I beat him out of the womb by three minutes, and my whole life I've tried to hold that over Bert as much as I could. Uh, Bert is um, very smart, he's very mature, so often he is the older brother. But anyway, ever since we were little, Bert and I have done life together. Earlier in the year, Bert and Lauren got married, and while it was a really exciting time to celebrate them, I also found a part of me being quite sad that I was parting ways with my brother because for a big part of our lives, we were inseparable. Ever since we were little, we would help Dad with whatever chores he was doing around the house. We would pull weeds out of the grass and we would uh, sweep the walkways where leaves were, you know, scattered everywhere. And we would help Dad wash his car. So here's a photo. I don't know if it's me or Bert, so we'll... (laughs) It's pretty cute, so I'll I'll take the claim for it. So Bert and I would help Dad wash the car. And as we keep scrolling through the photos, you can see... uh, we're there in our dirty clothes, you know, Bert's got the bucket there holding it up for me, and um, Dad taught us how to wash the car. Apparently, we weren't very good at washing cars because we spent more time playing in the mud and putting the cloth in the mud and then scratching Mum's car uh, instead of cleaning the car. But regardless of whether we were good or not at washing cars, we always learned the importance of trying to keep your car clean. Now, we fast forward to three years later uh, when, at our birthday, our grandma gave us these remote-controlled cars, these green remote-controlled cars. And these weren't any remote-controlled car. These remote-controlled cars, with the remote, you could uh, drive the car forwards and backwards and turn, which you would expect, right? But you could also turn the lights on in the car. You could, like, blast the horn. And you could even set its alarm so that when someone tries to pick your car up, it would start screaming. So it had its own burglar alarm right and so I was this you know good kid that had good morals at the age of five I understood what was important in life and so I wanted to do what my parents taught me and so I wanted to look after my car and one of these ways to look after the car would be to wash my car and so you know the car wasn't dirty we only drove it indoors but I still wanted to wash the car for no reason and so what did I do? I picked up my car and walked it over to the bathroom sink, ran the tap, the warm water, and gave my car a thorough rinse, right? To my surprise, my car no longer wanted to turn on. I was devastated. I could not believe it. I had broken my car, and as I walked with my dripping wet car back to our shared bedroom, Bert was sitting there on his bed with his remote control, just driving around the room. And, you know, again, that sadness of my own broken car just really, like, stirred inside of me. But then I also felt this jealousy stir inside of me as well, that Bert's car was still working and my car was broken. And so what did I do? Well, as the wise, loving, older brother that looks out for my brother, I... Uh, felt the need to to show Bert that he needs to wash his car as well. I told Bert that we should clean his car. And, you know, Bert knew that I had just broken my car. He reasoned with me and he told me that if we wash his car, we'll break his car as well. But I reassured him, don't worry, we will look after your car. We're just going to clean it. This is how we look after our things. So being the trusting little brother that he is, three minutes older than him, but he's a little brother in this situation. He followed me to the bathroom and joined me as we submerged his car (laughs) in a sink. I don't think we just rinsed it, I made sure that his car would get a thorough washing as well. And um, this time it was different, right? So my car, it just broke. This time we panicked because his car short circuited and then that security alarm system I was talking about before just started going off. And then in a panic, you know, knowing what I had done, I didn't want to get in trouble, so I told Bert, he needs to go hide his car, because when Mum and Dad finds out, they're going to be angry with him for breaking his car. So in tears, Bert takes his car back to the bedroom, hides it in his, um, his bedside table cabinet, uh, but unfortunately, Mum and Dad had already heard the sirens going off, and so Mum and Dad found out about his car, our cars. But before they came to us, I, I told Bert, I guilt-tripped him. I said, when they ask you, you tell them that we washed our cars, because that's what Dad told us to do. <laughs> and uh, we both washed our cars, we take the blame, and that's what he did. And so we didn't get in trouble. Mum and Dad didn't think much of it. It's only until three days ago when I had the conversation with them, I needed the photos from Mum, that they realised what had actually happened. They never knew. They thought it was an innocent mistake. Guys, I was five years old, so, you know, the things happening in my heart at the moment, you would not imagine. When we return to Joseph's story, we know that Joseph was also outdone. He was picked on as a little brother in the same way that I took advantage of my brother. Very different circumstances, but he was also bullied and uh, cast aside. And um, when we fast forward to the story now where we are, we know that Joseph was in a position of power. He was the governor of um, the king, he ruled over all of Egypt. And he was actually in a position now to provide, during this time of famine, he was able to provide uh, to the whole land. And this is the first time where Joseph's brothers, in Genesis 42, his brothers re-enter the grand story of Joseph in Genesis. They come to Egypt to buy food from Joseph. And Joseph, it says, he was shocked and he actually pretends that he doesn't know them. And he speaks quite harshly to them when he meets with them. You know, there's some, some residual pain left over. And because he's in this position of authority, he accuses them of being spies. And he puts them in prison for three days. And after the three days passed, he keeps the eldest brother, Simeon, in jail. And he lets the other nine brothers escape jail to go back to their father not to take food back to him but to go get Benjamin the youngest brother back to prove their story because he is uh, accusing them of being spies on the land of Egypt and he knows who they are right and so uh, Joseph here in the scene, he uses his authority to even out the scales with his brother. You know, it was a, a, a tipping of um, power back in the day and he's actually using his authority now to get even with his brothers. He's taking control of the scenario and this interaction of his brothers and he gets even with them. I think we all uh, feel like we have the right uh, to get even with someone when we are wronged. We live in a culture where we have the right to get even. It's an individualistic culture, and we all, most of the time, in the relationships we have, they're highly transactional relationships, right? So if someone takes something from us, we feel the need to be able to take something back. We give so that we can take. And you know, in some ways, uh, there's a positive side to this. Um, You know, when you're able to give and take in a relationship, you know, the relationship's balanced, it's equally yoked, it's complementary. But a lot of the time when uh, the negative side of this is that when someone uh, takes from us or they inflict something upon us, we feel entitled, feel the right that we could get even with them. We're going to do a quick survey of the room, all right? So um, we'll ask for answers for the first one. What do you do if someone takes three ice cubes and slips it down your shirt? What do you normally do? Put it in the pocket. Okay. It's worse, in your pocket. Oh, true. All right, but what what do you do if you can't reach them? Say they run away. Yeah, that's what I do. I just peg it with all my force, trying to inflict pain on them, right? And someone, like, hits you on the face, or when Bert used to punch me, you punch him back, right? Or say you're walking along and someone trips you over and you fall, what do you do? You try and get up and you run after them to push them over. You know, they tripped me, so they deserve to fall over. And while these are some light-hearted examples, you know, when someone really hurts us, it's very similar. We feel like we're owed justice. When they use mean words to us, when they use abusive language towards us, we often use words back to get back at them. When they break us down, we also want to tear them down. When someone takes from us, when they steal from us, we want to take back what is rightfully ours. In our culture, it's okay to put people down and uh, to try and destroy them, to obliterate them. I say that almost sarcastically. You don't obliterate someone if they throw you with ice or put ice in you, but uh, in our society, it's okay, it's acceptable uh, to get back at someone if we are wronged. And when we have this right, if someone wrongs us, we have this right to get back uh, at them. We actually, this leads us to having hardened hearts in our relationships. And uh, when we can't get back at them, this bitterness forms in our hearts toward that person because they have done something against us. And this bitterness that seeps into our hearts is actually destroying our relationships in the process. Getting even leads to bitterness and hardened hearts. When we return to the story of Joseph in Genesis 43, the next chapter, we read that Joseph's family had eaten all the food that they took back when they went to get Benjamin. Joseph sent a small amount of food back when they went to get Benjamin. And Jacob, because they were starving, he finally gives up and he releases the brothers to take Benjamin back to Joseph to prove their story so that Joseph will give them more food they would be able to buy food off him. So we're going to read from Genesis 43, verse 29 to 30. If you want to open up your Bibles... Uh, Genesis 43, verse 29, or your digital device. The uh, words will be on the screen behind us as well. And it says, As he looked about and saw his brother Benjamin, his own mother's son, he asked, Is this your youngest brother, the one you told me about? And he said, God, be gracious to you, my son. Deeply moved at the sight of his brother, Joseph hurried out and looked for a place to weep. He went into his private room and wept there. So we can see here that Joseph knew that Benjamin was Jacob's new son to Rachel. He knew how much Benjamin would have meant to Jacob because um, Jacob knew or thought that Joseph was dead. And so this was, in a way, the replacement son for him and Rachel to have. And in the next chapter, then we keep reading that in Genesis 44, uh, Joseph starts playing these games with his brothers. He tries to trick them. And so, you know, the classic part of the story is uh, he eventually allows um, Benjamin and the rest of his brothers to go back to to their father with food, and they load them up with uh, grain in their sacks and everything. But what he does is he hides his silver cup in Benjamin's bag with the evil intent. After they leave on their way back to their father, Joseph sends his men to chase their brothers and they are find the hidden silver cup that he had organised to be hidden in Benjamin's bag. And so obviously his men arrest the brothers, brings them back to Joseph. And Joseph um, pretends to be furious, like he had no idea what was going on. And he threatens to keep Benjamin in prison because of his actions. And maybe some of you have experienced this in your own lives, where as someone has wronged or hurt you, Maybe uh, they have used their words or actions in such a way that it's so deeply shaped you as a person. Maybe you no longer talk to these people because they've wronged you. I've definitely seen in my own family that the actions of certain family members have caused great hurt and pain. And uh, some of our extended members of family, we don't really talk to them anymore. We've cut them out because of the pain they have caused in our family. We put our guards up, uh, and that actually leads to us no longer having a relationship with those family members. And so maybe uh, you've had a similar experience where your heart has been hardened, uh, you have had bitterness seep into your heart, and that's actually cut people out of your lives. You've actually isolated yourself from people. And maybe like Joseph, you have found it hard to invite those people back into your life. And maybe you purposefully avoid those people. You try and not revisit or rekindle the relationship because of the pain they have caused you. The thing is, Jesus teaches us of a radically different way of life. Uh, It's a life of extending mercy and grace to others. Uh, In Luke 6, verse 27, Jesus says this to his disciples. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you. Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you can expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. This is the important part. Jesus says, But love your enemies, do good to them, and let to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. It's true, isn't it? It's so easy to love someone who reciprocates that love, but it's actually so, so hard to love someone who has wronged you, who has said something to offend you. I want to be very clear. Forgiving isn't about forgetting. It's not about forgetting what someone has said. And when someone wrongs you, you don't forgive them by just forgetting what they have done. Forgiveness is about acknowledging what they have done and actually choosing to surrender the right to get even with them. Forgiveness is about extending mercy and grace and love to that person. Forgiveness is choosing to love someone in spite of their past behaviour or actions. Now, it's probably a good time to also acknowledge that some people have been the victims to abuse or mistreatment, And, um, you know, if someone's wronged you with malicious intent and, you know, there's certain circumstances around that that make them unsafe to be around, we have to take precautions. We have to keep ourselves safe and keep others safe. It's not about being unsafe around dangerous people. But we can still forgive those people who have wronged us, no matter how severe. Forgiving isn't forgetting what someone has done. But regardless of what they have done, Jesus is teaching us to choose to forgive despite the emotions that it riles up. When we go back to Joseph's story, Genesis 44 verse 30, the brothers are pleading with Joseph. So he's just threatened to keep Benjamin in jail. They explain that, you know, Years ago, they've already lost their youngest brother, and if they lost Benjamin, his dad, their dad would die. And so one of the brothers, Judah, he he even offers to take Joseph's place in the jail uh, instead of Benjamin, so Benjamin can go back to their dad. And so in this picture, we can see that the brothers who sold Joseph into slavery is turning in their ways, and they're earnestly desiring to make things right. They don't want to make the same mistake again. We can find freedom in forgiveness as well. We have to forgive those who have wronged us. We we have to attempt to reconcile relationships. And that's what we see here in this story. The brothers are coming with repentant hearts to Joseph, trying to make things right. And they don't even know that it's their brother they're dealing with. We can find freedom in forgiveness in the next chapter, we read verse 45, or chapter 45, James 45 verse one. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants. And he cried out, "Have everyone leave my presence, so there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers." And he kept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, he wept. And Pharaoh's house uh, household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I'm your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. You can see here that Joseph is telling his brothers not to be angry with themselves, not to be distressed because they're in the presence of the brother they sold and a great governor as well. They could just throw them all in prison if he wanted to. He says that everything is going to be okay, that he is uh, we can see that he has forgiven his brothers and that there was a bigger plan at play. He was in the position to provide For his family. And so in verse 9, Joseph says to his brothers, Hurry back to my father and say to him, This is what your son Joseph says God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me, you, your children, and grandchildren, your flocks and herds, and all you have. I'll provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will be destitute. You can see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin, that it is really, it, uh, it is really I who am speaking to you. Tell my father all about the honour accorded me in Egypt and about everything you have seen, and bring my father down here quickly. Then he threw his arms... Around his brother Benjamin and wept. And Benjamin embraced him, weeping. And he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. Afterward, his brothers talked with him. I reckon this is one of the most intimate, loving, enduring moments, uh, one of the most enduring scenes in the Bible. Not only is this a picture of a brother being reconciled to his family, but it's a picture of a whole family, a broken family, being healed and put back together because of the power of forgiveness. Because Joseph forgives his brothers, he he shows grace and mercy to them, his whole family can be brought back together and bear the fruit of the relationship. He's able to provide for his father and his mother and all the grandchildren because of the restored relationship. And I saw a similar thing happen in my relationship with my brother uh, when he decided to forgive me. You know, in his wisdom as a five-year-old, he made the decision, the mature decision, uh, to forgive me. I can't remember him saying that I've forgiven you, but when we look at the the following events, I know that he never held on to the fact that I drowned his remote-controlled car. He's loved me regardless of the pain that I've inflicted on him. And he, for, he, because he forgave me, something that was quite bad for a five-year-old to experience was reconciled and brought back together for good. It brought good fruit to our relationship. We continued to share our passion and love for remote-controlled toys. When we were eight years old, we uh, got hovercrafts, and we used to wake up at 3 a.m. in the morning and drive our hovercrafts around until Mum woke up and then ushered us back to bed. When we were 13, uh, we did a trip uh, to South Africa, and we went through Singapore. And In the Singapore markets, we bought these helicopters. Uh, so there's two photos. So that's us at the airport and then the next one as well. That's us, outside the market, where we bought these remote control helicopters and we were able to fly them in the park. And then when we were 16, we bought um, some remote control planes which we used to fly in the school oval. And Bert not only decided to forgive me, he actually decided to love me through this hobby. Bert's an engineer, (laughs) I am a music ministry person, so Bert's just like, he's on top of his remote control plane things. So just to give an example, Bert did the research with me to help decide what type of plane I should buy. I had no idea uh, where to start, but Bert did all the diligent work. He, uh, he helped me research and figure out what type of batteries I need to feed the motor and what type of electronics I need for the plane to fly. And it, it all just kind of went over my head, but Bert just knew. And he decided to help me with that. He helped me to assemble my plane, which was a task in its own, And when he bought a battery charger to charge his plane's batteries, uh, he made sure that the battery charger he bought would also be able to charge my batteries. So he could have just uh, left me out to dry and figure out how to charge my own batteries. But I remember very clearly that he spent almost triple on the charger so that he could charge my batteries for me as well. Uh, When we went out on the field to learn how to fly our planes... Uh, His plane was a bit bigger, so it's easy to fly. And he used to allow me to fly his plane, learn with it, crash it, all of that, so that when it got to flying my plane, I wouldn't break my own plane. I don't know if that's not forgiving someone and turning a story around. I don't know. I don't know what is. Um, And we also see forgiveness... uh, of our own sins in the life of Jesus. That's another way. So in Joseph's uh, story, we can see forgiveness turning bad to good. In my brother's story, we can see uh, something bad being brought back for good. And uh, we also know that when Jesus forgives forgave our sins, uh, that turned out uh, to be good. You know, Before, after telling his disciples how to love others, how to love his enemies, Jesus continued to die an undiservant death on the cross in our place so that we would no longer be condemned in our inner brokenness and sin, but rather that we would be able to be reconciled to our heavenly Father. You see, without Jesus' death on the cross... We're not able to have relationship with God in the intimate way that we do now. Uh, It's because of Jesus' life, his perfect life, his death and his resurrection that we now have relationship with our Heavenly Father and uh, we can spend eternity with him in heaven. And uh, Paul encourages the church of Ephesus in uh, Ephesians 4. And if you know anything about the church of Ephesus, the culture of the city of Ephesus, very similar to our current culture at the moment. Uh, Very similar, you know, humans are still broken. They were back then, they still are now. But some of the themes and things that Paul uh, teaches into in the book of Ephesus is actually things we're struggling with as well. And so we should listen. Uh, It's very applicable uh, to our current culture. lives. So we read Ephesians 4 verse 31, we read this, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I don't know if you've ever tried to forgive someone. Actually, you get to a point, where you're like, "Jesus, really hard. They really upset me. Um, I don't know how... I'm meant to forgive them. I'm not, I don't know how I'm meant to get over this. And I want to acknowledge forgiveness is a journey. Uh, It takes time. It takes time to process. It takes time to heal. But the reason why we can forgive others, the reason why we can love others, is because we were forgiven first. We don't have to forgive uh, out of our own goodness, but we forgive because Jesus has forgiven us as well. He's demonstrated that love and mercy to us. And so I want to ask you tonight, who in your life do you have bitterness towards? Who in your life have you built up a God or your heart has been hardened uh, towards them? And um, that's because of unforgiveness. Who have you not forgiven? I want to, again, acknowledge past experiences, the past pain that might resurface uh, when you think of those who have wronged you. The thing is we can't forgive overnight. It is a journey. But we are called to love others, and through forgiveness we can find freedom uh, from the pain that we uh, experience, the pain that has been inflicted on us. It's through choosing to forgive that we are able to get rid of the burdens that we have been carrying. It's through forgiveness uh, that we're able to work through and process the deep pain that we might be experiencing. It is only through forgiveness that we can truly heal. And so, in a moment, we're going to sing the song uh, Hosanna. And the lyrics uh, in the bridge go like this. The lyrics are, Heal my heart and make it clean. Open up my eyes to the things unseen. Show me how to love like you have loved me. Break my heart for what breaks yours. Everything I am for your kingdom's cause as I walk from earth into eternity. Uh, this bridge is. Um, it's a song that's really spoken to my heart over the years, and I think it, it's just so powerful at the moment. We, we get an opportunity to come to God, to ask Him. You know, we sit in this time of unforgiveness. We struggle to get over what has been inflicted on us. We can ask Him to show us how to love others the way He has loved us. Uh, to the things that we don't understand, we don't see, we can ask Him to make those things clear to us. So as the team sings, uh, Sirx and Hannah are going to be at the front. Eleanor, if you want to come to the front as well, I'll be down there as well. I just want to create an opportunity that if if you've really been struggling, uh, if you've been carrying the burden of unforgiveness, the pain of someone who has wronged you, we want to invite you to come to the front. And we just want to pray that God would do a new work in your heart, that he would soften up the hardened heart that you've built up, and that he would fill you with his grace and mercy, his forgiveness and love so that you can in turn love others and show mercy to others. Uh, we, yeah, we just want to uh, pray for people who have found bitterness and resentment build up in their lives. It's found a stronghold in your life and it's actually affecting your ability to have relationship with others, maybe with people that uh, you no longer have connection with because you're unable to forgive them and you just need God to do a new work in your heart that you can process the pain you've been through and come to a point where you can love them and show mercy to them. You surrender the uh, the right to get even with them and that you choose to forgive them instead and extend mercy to them. So as the team sings, I just wanna invite you, if that's you tonight, come to the front. We'd love to pray for you, but um, yeah, why don't you stand and we'll sing together. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If we can pray for you, or you would like to take a further step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to connect with you please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au and click on Get Connected to let us know.